Fan Morning Show, Sports Night 59, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Leafs, Rangers, tonight, Scotiabank Arena before they uh, head out on the road. Quick little sojourn, two-gamer in Buffalo, in Columbus, uh, before the Christmas break. And then they resume with a home game against the Ottawa Senators, who just uh, fired DJ Smith, mercifully, mm-hmm. yesterday. Um, and Jacques Martin taking over there. Uh, so, Leafs, do you remember the last regulation loss? Do you remember it? Do you, if, like, off the top of your nope. head? No. Okay. okay, it was the second game back from Sweden. Remember they went back-to-back losses Penguins. against the Blackhawks? And Penguins. And Penguins. And, boy, there was some hand-wringing in that moment, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it was, oh, my God, the Blackhawks, who, by the way, now are dead last in the entire National Hockey League standings. Remember, and the c- cannot beat them. No. It's impossible this year. I, I'm old enough to remember when we were talking about the San Jose Sharks being the worst regular season team in the history of the NHL. And, oh, we'll, they, they yeah, we'll and Oilers l- lost to the Sharks, and that's single-handedly cost uh, Jay Woodcroft his job. And they're so bad, but, like, yeah. Yeah. They're not the worst ever. They're just one of many bad teams, including the one that employed uh, Connor Bedard. That was their last regular uh, or uh, regulation loss, the, the Leafs. That came in November. It was almost a month ago. A month ago Monday, November 25th. Since then, it is just nothing but points after points after points. In fact, points in nine consecutive, trying to run that streak to 10 straight. Now, it hasn't always been easy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it hasn't always looked great. And there have been stretches over that span where, boy, okay, they didn't really deserve to get one point, let alone two. And I'm, I'm thinking of the, the, the first win over this stretch of yep. nine games against the Panthers where they got saved by an overturned shootout goal uh, by the Panthers that everybody thought the, ended the game. And everybody in fact, did but not. You, you caught it right away. Yep, I did. So that started this run. But since then, you know, and of course, the, the Columbus come back from 5 nothing down in the third period. But by and large, it's been, it's been a team with a pretty consistent effort. So we, we think about this team as, hey, getting up for the big games. And, like, when you got the retention, like, Austin Matthews not mm-hmm. in the lineup. TJ Brody not in the lineup. Okay, you got our retention. And the big games against the Boston Bruins. And I guess, you know, the Panthers. And like I said, what are the mentoring yep. stick games? Like, there's few and far between for the team. But also a team that has letdown games against teams that don't necessarily stand out on the standings uh, or or uh, in, yep. on your schedule and, and games that just feel like, yeah, midweek games against uh, nobodies, right? And the Columbus Blue Jackets yep. fit that bill. That's why the first 40 minutes of that game made a whole lot of sense. But are they, in general, doing a better job of staying focused during this regular season, which we all understand is not the deciding factor as to whether this was a successful season or not. I think the reason why I'll give them the most credit for that is because of the, and I know everyone heard me complain about it enough. I actually think I've done a wonderful job moving on from it, but the weird schedule, I think that was the hardest thing to stay focused with. I mean, they had a class trip to Sweden for a week and they played two games and they some, by some miracle of God got all four points over there and Nylander left feeling as good as he ever could. And they survived the stretch coming out of it where I did think there was a chance for there to be a real kind of malaise. They had the back-to-back losses and they've taken care of business since. Obviously you would rather just have the team that runs the table and it's like Boston last year and they never lose. But if the other options are, team who we think is good that takes care of business against all the bad teams and can never get over the hump against any of the good ones or mm-hmm. team that shows up against all the good teams and yeah, they don't win every time, but rarely lay an egg against them. 
and has the odd stinker against the Jackets on a Thursday night, I will definitely take that oh, given the Druthers. There's no question because, again, if we were extrapolating anything from this regular season and, and wondering what it meant when it comes to the postseason, I don't advise doing that because we've been fooled before. Like, truly, like, you can in, enjoy the regular season for what it is. And yep. I just talked about how, hey, there's lots of franchises around the NHL that wish they could have the, the run of regular season success the Leafs have had. Uh, despite the fact that they haven't done much of anything in, in the postseason. Like, if you were going to extrapolate mm-hmm. from the regular season, you'd say getting up for games against the Rangers and the Bruins and the Panthers. Mm-hmm. Like, that that means more than laying down against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Because guess what? They're not going to face the Blue Jackets in the postseason. No, uh, they they didn't. They had their they had their dalliance with that in the bubble, and it, it that never wasn't even a happened. So. Yeah, or retroactively, did we change that? Uh, no, because the Leafs have made the playoffs in my mind's eye, so right. uh, we cannot take that away from them. That's just my math on that. But we uh, don't ever have to think about that again. Yep. Yeah. Ever. Uh, let's move on. Please. All right, uh, time now for our Insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom, visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Our insider today, Bruce Boudreaux, former Jack Adams Award winner and head coach of Canada's Spengler Cup team. Uh, Bruce, thanks for doing this. Congrats on, on the new gig. Yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to it. I've heard so much about this tournament and uh, uh, obviously never be- gotten the opportunity. So uh, this is going to be just a, a new bucket list type thing. Yeah, what does it mean for you to be representing the the Maple Leaf for the first time in your career? Well, I mean, that's the whole thing. I mean, uh, to be able to put on that Canadian jersey or uh, from behind the bench uh, with the flag on it uh, uh, makes me really proud. I mean, I've wanted to do it forever. Uh, I mean, uh, since I watched the first, I watched game two in 72 of uh, the Leaf Soviet series and and ever since that day, just being in the crowd and listening to the to the fans, it's been an awesome uh, uh, goal of mine. I was lucky enough in junior to play against the Soviets as a Marley a couple of times after that. But uh, to actually wear the uh, to have the jersey on or to in practice to have the the, the logo on you um, is uh, is really special for me. And I'm, you know, certainly want to bring home gold. It's, uh, they, everybody says the tournament is fun and you want to go over there and enjoy it. But all I want to do is win. So it's, uh, uh, it's, it's a, uh, you know, for me, winning is a lot of fun. So that's what I'm, go- I'm going over there to do. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, sitting around in Switzerland eating fondue, yeah, we all would like to do that. But what better than telling war stories about the game you just won? Uh, well, well, you do it. Uh, you know, I know I know, being a part of the group, regardless of who's a part of it, would be exciting. But just kind of looking at some of the names and Joe Thornton being part of the uh, the management group here. One, it makes me feel old. I know I shouldn't, that he's been retired for a while there. But uh, what are the conversations you're you're having like? I mean, obviously, I know you've been in communication with them. Are they leaning on you for, for player selection? Again, just uh, your your first kick at the can at this thing. What's that element of it like been for you? Well, it's mostly them picking picking the players because they're from European teams, right? Um, so, I mean, obviously, I wouldn't uh, really have much knowledge of who's playing. I mean, there's there's uh, one player over there that I coached when in the NHL and Daniel Winnick, and and so I, I plan on leaning on him a little bit. Uh, when I get there, I had him for five years, uh, so I know him pr- 
quite well. Leaf legend. Um, uh, he's been on every team, so he can be a legend <laughs> everywhere. Uh, uh, um, but I mean, uh, uh, he is from Toronto, though, which is great. But uh, um, you know, no, I, I lean on a lot of people uh, for the players. Uh, we have two other coaches: Jimmy Playfair, who's coached in the NHL for many years. Now he's coaching junior. Is going to be the defensive coach, uh, um, and then we have Larry Mitchell and Jeff Tomlinson who've been over in Europe for many years. So they know the personnel, and they know um, they're going to give me an idea of who the best people to start are with. Uh, you know, as line combinations and everything else, and then uh, we'll we'll try to be as up up to date uh, and ready to go. Even though, like, we get there. And we have one practice and potentially hmm. four or five games in a week. But uh, uh, it's, it's so exciting, I think, that the, that wouldn't matter. I mean, uh, I've been lucky enough to take over teams in midseason, and, and that's probably where the expertise is going to come in, I hope, uh, that uh, knowing how to, how to get them jump-started right off the bat. So the, that's what we'll be doing, and looking forward to having a lot of fun doing it. And, and getting back behind the bench, I missed it a lot, and uh, hopefully it uh, can lead to something else. Yeah, I mean, and and it'll feel like the holidays, seeing that that tournament played and and inside that barn, which looks so amazing in Davos. It, it, like from from afar, it feels like a sauna. Like it's just like I see the wood beams. It looks like a beautiful, beautiful arena in in Davos. Um, so you mentioned you've taken over many a team in season after coaching firings in the National Hockey League. Four coaches already fired this year, Bruce, before Christmas. Um, does it feel more precarious than ever? Is is there more of a in, in from your outsider's perspective right now? Does it feel more uh, like teams are willing to pull the trigger on that, or is that just the nature of the job and the, there's ebbs and flows? Well, I mean, I think teams are willing um, that have expectations that are a lot higher than what their teams are doing. I think that's the big thing. I mean, uh, we can go down the list. Minnesota was supposedly a top team in the, in the central and they were really struggling. So uh, they pulled the plug. I mean, everybody had high hopes for Ottawa this year. They were saying this is the year. I mean, they finally uh, weren't getting it done. So, I mean, um, and, and it's a lot of time. It's the way the team is playing. It's not the necessarily even the results because there's been some teams with bad results, but the team's playing fine and, but when that when you look at it and it doesn't look like they're, you know, checking or working as hard, then you think, okay, the coach might have lost the room a little bit, and and that's when they make the make the pull. But I mean, uh, um, like I said, there's four teams that uh, that have pulled it so far, and I think the 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 will to win, not the will to win, I guess the um, the desire to win now is is really important. The, to management and ownership. And I mean, um, when you don't do what you're supposed to be doing, I think they want to make a change to get, try to get to where they want to be. Yeah. I think that's uh, that's fair to say, you know, something I, I wonder about and you're, you're a perfect guy to ask cause you, you know, you had fairly long, you know, long stops in, in each of the, your, your places there, uh, you know, specifically in Minnesota, Anaheim and Washington. And, you know, I, I wonder about the idea of how different you were as a coach in year one in a stop versus year four. I mean, maybe at the beginning in Washington, you're a very different coach because, you know, it's your first uh, crack at things at the NHL, but how do you kind of, uh, how did you evolve in each of those stops 
year over year? Because that's something we've been talking about with Sheldon Keefe this year that from the outside, and maybe it's just we're trying to read into way too much of this stuff, he does seem to be a little bit of a, a of a different coach or at least have a little bit of a different demeanor than maybe he's had in the past. How did you evolve uh, throughout your different stops in your NHL career? Well, you get, I think you get smarter um, every every year. But at the same time, I mean, you get to learn the league uh, a lot better. And, I mean, uh, things that got you all wound up and excited in year one might not do it in year three. Uh, but, I mean, and you get to know the personnel of the, of the teams you're playing against very, uh, an awful lot better. So you, you have a book. Like, you collect everything. And, I mean, I never threw anything away. So anytime I played a team of three years before, I mean, if they had the same coach, uh, I could go back and say, okay, this is what they do. These are their tendencies. And, and I think that's the best thing. And the biggest thing you pick up is the knowledge of year after year. And, and I, I mean, I can see it in, in um, Sheldon when he's coaching. I mean, doing they have changed a little bit in some of the things that the, they're doing. But I do think that the, uh, right now they're, they're a better team. They're, in the last five games, it's the best games they've played this year and uh, I think they're just going to get better right now I mean they're starting to hit the stride everybody is playing well and um, it's just managing managing those uh, minutes and 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 putting the right guys in at the right time and he's doing a really good job at it yeah he is um, no question about it and this is a big year for him uh, with the, a new general manager this is a team that obviously is going to be judged on what it does in the postseason, but there's a regular season to play, and it doesn't look like being in the playoffs will will be an issue for this team uh, yet again. Um, and, and I get it. They're, they're big, you're getting paid plenty of money to, to, to produce, and especially uh, in front of their home fans who are spending a lot of money to be in the building, but they are only human, and there's 82 of these things. Like, What is a reasonable expectation as the head coach for the best effort out of your hockey team during a regular season, which has limited value as far as the perception of whether the season was a success or not. Um, uh, hard time understanding. What is? Uh, yeah, like what is the what is reasonable to expect from this Leafs team, which obviously like wants to make the playoffs, but doesn't seem like that's going to be an issue. Like, how often can you have like an off night where it doesn't feel like your team necessarily has it? Not that that's a conscious thing. Like how, how often is it acceptable for your players to not be fully engaged over the course of an 82 game regular season? Uh, I mean, it's going to happen. I've been told by uh, when I was younger, a lot of, uh, a lot of coaches and managers would tell me like, you know, if you want to play in the NHL, they'd tell me, they say, listen, out of 10 games, you've got to play eight of the games at the best of your ability. One game you're going to have where you're no effect on anybody, and one game you're going to stink. So one out of 10, mm. uh, if, individually, you're not going to be at your best. Now, what you don't want, obviously, in the, in the NHL is you want don't want all 20 guys to have that same bad game and the same right. mediocre game at the same time. So, but I mean, I, I'm looking at their consistency is good. Uh, the only problem I find with the Leafs sometimes, and it hasn't happened in the last week, is they play to the level of their competition. And uh, um, like when there's a team that they should beat, they go out and, and they're haphazard, and you know, and it becomes quite a game. And then they got to wake up as they did against Columbus and go, oh, what do we do now? We better get our butts in gear. And uh, 
and they and they can do it. They have that kind of special talent up front. Um, but I mean, the games like Pittsburgh, I mean, they just when they're on, they're on. They're very difficult to beat. When their goaltending is on, they're very difficult to beat. So I mean. Uh, I just see them getting better. But uh, to me, a a reasonable uh, expectation for them is about 110 points this year, and which would put them uh, either first or close second in the Atlantic. And uh, I think that's reasonable to expect with their team, with their record, with their talent. And, um, but it's, it's tough. Like, I mean, we, you know, the people in Toronto, because they're used to making the playoffs, they think this is an easy thing getting in the playoffs and they only judge them by the playoffs. I mean, uh, I, you know, I mean, they got to get, I think there should be a little more um, credit for, for what they do in the regular season. And uh, uh, because it is tough and only half the teams in the league make the playoffs and it's a, and it is a complete grind and they're going to have to stay injury free, major injury free. And if they can do that, and continue to get good goaltending when Wall comes back, and hey, what Martin Jones uh, and has done, and um, and you know, uh, with the other goalie, Sam Russell, yeah, Sam. So I keep wanting to call him Varlamov. Believe me, I had Varlamov <laughs> for five years. Every time I, I hear his name, I'm going, okay, it's Varley. No, it's not. Okay, <laughs> but uh, so I struggle with that one sometimes. But, I mean, they're going to be there. I mean, and they're going to have some bad games, and they're going to have some games where things aren't clicking. But, I mean, it's it's a give the faith thing. Like, I mean, all those people that wanted to go out of the building the other day when they're losing 5 nothing to Columbus and going, oh, my God, what's going on? I paid all this money for that. Probably went home talking about the Leafs' comeback in the third period more than any game they've seen. So you never give up hope on these guys because they can – they can score when they want, and they're easily, easily the best six-on-five team in the league. And uh, uh, they've got it down to an art form. They know what they're doing. And so you never give up on them at ever, to me. I mean, I, they're going to be there when it's all said and done. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's it's hard to say that this is definitively the reason why, but you look at that series against Tampa last year and they had so many moments where it's a goal in the dying minutes to get them to overtime and then finding a way and you do wonder if there's some element to that that kind of bleeds over from, from one year to the next. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, Gabby, was this team has had a nasty flu bug ripping through them right now. I mean, TJ Brody, they talked about him. He's maybe going to play tonight. He was back at practice yesterday and he just finally finally got down his first meal in, in two days. What's it like coaching a team? I mean, I'm sure you've had times where you just have a nasty bug kind of ripping through the room. I mean, injuries is one thing and it's frustrating because it typically keeps guys out longer, but you don't typically have the whole team getting hurt at one time where when it's a bug like this, it does seem like it just kind of passes from one player to the next. What's the challenge of that from a kind of coaching perspective? Well, then it's limiting the ice time and doing the ice time the right thing. I mean, it happens to every team once a year. It goes through every team. And the uh, ideal thing is when the the first player comes in and he's sick, let's make sure we get him out of there as quick as possible. But usually what's happened is you already passed on the, the germs to somebody else and they eventually get it. But you keep them isolated in a way as much as possible. But then it's it's isolated. Like, I mean, you can't play. If Austin Matthews is sick, I mean, 
it's not a Michael Jordan moment where he's sick and getting 44 points in, in a NBA final. But, I mean, it's uh, you, you have to probably limit his minutes to 18 minutes instead of 23 minutes and, and make the shift shorter. So he, that the strength part of it is, is if he can only go 30 seconds hard, then get off and, and things like that. But, I mean, it's, uh, it's managing the minutes of the players that are sick that becomes really uh, important and apparent because, I mean, you put a, a sick guy with no energy on and he ends up staying on too long that you know the other team is going to eventually get an opportunity and, and he'll make a mistake or blow by him because he's got no strength and, and get a good, good opportunity on that. Yeah, it's uh, we've seen it before, certainly. And uh, I know I'm not at my best uh, when I'm sick and I just have to sit here and talk. So I can only imagine, you know, actively doing something active and playing in an NHL game. Uh, a guy who's played in a lot of them, he's scored goals in a lot of them, but not so much this year. Alex Ovechkin, you know him as well as, as anybody else. He hasn't scored in his last 13, just five goals this year. Uh, it seems like the greats always have some late career surge when maybe we don't expect it. Uh, I mean, father time is undefeated, so maybe we shouldn't be surprised. But I think a lot of people surprised by those totals. Again, just five goals so far on the season. Uh, what, have you, uh, what do you make of Ovechkin from what, if any, you've seen? Well, I mean, living in the almost the Washington area, you get to hear and see a lot of them. Um, and everybody, I'm surprised as all get out. I mean, uh, but uh, the the biggest thing to me is, uh, you know, he's got five goals and uh, he hasn't scored in 13. And uh, the, but their power play is like 31st in the league or something. And any goal scorer any goal scorer, you take the best of them, you look at their power play numbers, they're usually, at the end of the year, they're 10 to 15 power play goals. There's a big part of goal scorers' ability. And when you're power play, like last year, Washington's power play was just, was was less than um, less than good. It was, uh, and and he still scored 42 goals. So he didn't put too much into it. But this year, the, the power play is so bad, I think he's got one power play goal and an empty net goal. Uh, and I'm worried a little bit about him. I never was in any conversation I've had with anybody on the radio or saying or, or TV talking about, you know, Alex is going to turn it up, turn it up. But the, the thing the other night uh, sort of bothered me when they were playing Carolina and came into overtime and he um, was the third guy to go on or the third line shift watching it pretty closely. And he played 30 seconds and he, uh, um, and then he got off and he never touched the puck mm-hmm. and, and then didn't go in the shootout. And those to me were telling signs, yeah. signs that, I mean, Spencer Carberry is seeing something that uh, uh, he's around them every day. That is probably not to his liking, probably not to Alex's liking either. But I mean, when he is limited in that overtime spot, then uh, I think, I think they can definitely see somebody slowing down mm-hmm. or, being dis- disheartened because he hasn't been scoring. I mean, he is a guy that's at the forefront all the time of uh, being special. And uh, uh, the only thing to me that's keeping him going right now is the team is doing well, and he's the captain, and he's one of the top scorers on the team assist-wise and, and that. So uh, that's good, but I know it's probably eating him up pretty, pretty much inside, and I'm dying for the day that he comes out and gets three goals and then gets back on track. 
Yeah, maybe there's pro- uh, positive regression coming. He's only shooting 4.8%. But yeah, it is pretty shocking to see him with only five goals and just, uh, as you mentioned, the one power play goal this season. Uh, Bruce, uh, thanks again for doing this. Uh, best of luck uh, overseas at the Spangler Cup. Thanks for doing this. All righty. We'll bring one home for Canada, I hope. <laughs> yep. Fingers crossed. See you, Bruce. Yep. All right, there's Bruce Boudreaux, former Jack Adams Award winner, head coach of Canada's Spengler Cup team. He was our insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Alex Ovechkin with the 42 goals a season ago, 14 on the power play. year before that, 16 on the power play in his 50-goal season. It was like, I don't know, almost uh, double-digit seasons in his career. He's led the National Hockey League in power play goals per season. Yep. That's... That would be nice to insulate him this year, but only one through 28 games this year. It was in his fifth game of the season. (laughs) It's like against the Leafs. Everybody expects to see with the aging curve, like it go from, oh, well, 42 goals and then like 35. Mm. And then like sometimes it's just like happens like this where it's like, oh, you turn 38 years old. You go from 42 goals to like 17. Yeah. David Amber, all of a sudden, uh, not doing victory laps. Not that he shouldn't be, because I'm not saying it can't happen, but it's, it is amazing how quickly it went from, no, come on, he's not passing Gretzky to, oh my God, he's going to pass Gretzky to it kind of feeling like there's no world where you can catch Gretzky now. Mm. It's crazy how, how much of a roller coaster that's been in what, four years, three and a half. The other thing about the aging curve is like, okay, say you do go from 42 to 17. It's not like at 39, you're going to go from 17 to 40 again. Like once, (laughs) once you're not that guy anymore, like you're don't become that guy again when you're in your late thirties. Does not. Well, I mean, Sidney Crosby may be telling us other things, but he is, uh, he, he didn't have the drop off. It's just more finding another level for Crosby this year. It's why he's just continuing to be incredible. And mm-hmm. also very, well, not fitting, but interesting that if Carberry is the guy who has to be on watch for the Ovechkin exit in Washington and Dubas is the guy uh, with the car keys mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh. That I mean, the Leafs are everywhere. They always are. It is, as we know, in the world of hockey and in life, because they're the same to me, it always about the Leafs. That's correct. Uh, but not next segment because no, next, it's next about seg- Peter King. It'll be about football. And let's be honest. It's going to be about Brock Purdy being the MVP, and I'm going to go, okay, you're right, Peter, because yeah. you're Peter. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll also do Eagles fans maybe panicking after mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts says the Eagles aren't committed enough. You, Why don't you ask him Niners or the field for the Super Bowl? I, I might I might just do that. Okay. okay. Peter King next. The a pre-show fo- meeting. A football morning in America as the uh, fan morning show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sports at 590 The Fan. That Seahawks quarterback drew long after a Monday night victory over the Philadelphia Eagles who draw the Seahawks back to 500-7-7. First team out of the NFC playoff picture. They're in eighth place, tied with the Rams and uh, Vikings and the Saints as well. Uh, but yeah, losing the tiebreaker to those two teams. I don't know if it was the three glasses of wine I had last night watching that game. Oh, but I had one. I, okay, well, step it up or maybe I need to step it down. I don't know. <laughs> we can debate that later. I was just sitting there going... God, I love Drew Locke. What a story. That interview that we just played some of, great work uh, by the sideline reporter there. So, yeah, that was an awesome finish last night. Awesome moment from Drew Locke as well. 
Uh, yeah, Drew Locke playing as as the backup quarterback, naturally. Uh, Jalen Obviously, Hurts, it's 2023 in the NFL. There yes. had to be one of them in there. Although Jalen Hurts battling through it to play in the football game, uh, they lose either way. And afterwards, talked about his team not being committed enough. Let's talk to Peter King of Football Morning in America. Uh, good morning, Peter. Good morning, guys. And by the way, I know we won't talk about this very much, but you got a big hockey game tonight in town. Oh, oh boy, do we. big hockey game. Come on. Yeah. yeah. No, the return engagement after the Leafs put it on the Rangers at MSG last week, Peter. Yeah. No, I, I like, did, did, did the original six juices get flowing when you see these two teams, these two uniforms on the ice? <laughs> Listen, the Toronto Maple Leafs have the best uniform in sports, mm. period. I don't disagree with Sing you. Fantastic. And I think it all comes down to the color blue. That is such a beautiful color blue. I love it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I'm I'm a slight Pucks fan. And, um, you know, I grew up in New Jersey. I didn't grow up, but my kids grew up in New Jersey. And we had access to Devil's tickets. And we used to go to about 10 games a year. And so I I really have great, great regard for well-played hockey. And... Uh, I appreciate it. I've watched a couple of games this year so far, mm-hmm. you know, of these really good teams. The Rangers have really improved their speed. And, you know, Toronto with their speed and toughness is uh, is going to be a very, very tough out. Anyway, it uh, should be fun tonight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it was fun for Leaf fans again at MSG uh, on the on the uh, the dad's trip uh, for the Leafs as they they stuck it to uh, the Rangers last time they 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 saw each other. So no doubt the Rangers looking for a little bit of re- revenge tonight uh, in Toronto. And uh, every team always gets up. Well, they get up to go to MSG. They get up to come to the hockey mecca that is Toronto. So I expect uh, more of the same tonight. All right, to to the football of it all, Peter and. Uh, Boy, it wasn't that long ago we were talking about this Eagles team being a juggernaut. They have really fallen on hard times, uh, no more so than yesterday, losing to Drew Locke and that Seahawks team. And I mentioned that afterwards Jalen Hurts said that he felt his team isn't committed enough. Like, how concerned should should Eagles fans be right now? I think I wasn't that concerned before last night. And look, perhaps, perhaps this is Jalen Hurts' playing hurt, playing sick, whatever. But the fact is, this team in the last three weeks has scored 49 points. And this was, I wouldn't say they were an offensive juggernaut going into the last three weeks, but, you know, Thanksgiving weekend, they go up against Buffalo. Uh, It's a shootout, and they score 37 And since then, they haven't been able to break 20. And so I would be very concerned about this team right now. I think the one other thing that would concern me is the fact that I thought last week it seemed like a panicky thing to do, to change defensive coordinators with four games to go. And I understand you're not playing well on defense. But when you come out after you do that, And they did play better on defense, no question about it. So Matt Patricia, Sean Desai, whatever, that did not decide this game. The offense did. But this just has a feel right now in Philadelphia like they – it's not like they don't know what they're doing. I I don't mean that. But three games in a row, 
being under 340 yards on offense with, you know, tremendous offensive talent and the best offensive line in football. I, I mean, I, I hate to say you got to go back to the drawing board, but I think this team might have to go back to the drawing board right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's the Philly special they need or, or something, but but you're right. You know, the thing I, I think a lot of people would point to with that, and I don't know how fair the criticism is, but I'd be lying if it's not where my mind goes as well, is that, you know, I think Jalen Hurts has a lot of great qualities as a quarterback. I think he's an exceptional leader. I think, obviously, we know what he can do running the ball, his command of the offense, the way he is able to kind of seeming control at all times. But I also think that if you're talking about the most gifted passers in the league, he's not necessarily there. How much of it do you think the Eagles' offense being hamstrung is due to Hurts' ability in that regard? And it's not for a lack of weapons like we've seen in other places. He certainly has them there because – you know, this this Eagles team, I, I, I think we can all envision them having these long, punishing drives where it's, whether it be Hurts, whether it be Gainwell, who, whoever it is who's, who's getting the ball for them, just pounding the ball, you know, maintaining possession, running out the clock. But when they're asked to be, a, not that they can't be explosive, but it's not necessarily the strength of their team either. How much of the, do you think the Eagles struggles offensively is is due to some limitations from, from Hurts? And I'm not saying that like he's not a top 10 guy in the league, but there's a big yeah. difference between being 10 and four. Well, I'm not, I don't really think this is, you know, a quarterback always gets too much credit when you win and too much blame when you lose. Yep. But I think a lot of this right now is the fact that, <clears throat> you know, I think offense, playing offense and playing it well is a confidence game. I really do. And last year, the way they ended the season, all right, they they didn't end the season. Like, you know, they beat the Giants in the playoffs, and they beat them running the ball. They beat the 49ers in the playoffs, and they beat the 49ers not, not – I mean, they beat the 49ers running the ball well as well. And against Kansas City in the Super Bowl, it was a Jalen Hurts game in all ways. I don't blame Jalen Hurts for where they are right now, but to your point, I do blame him for not lifting his game enough right now. Mm-hmm. And last night, his touchdowns, his big plays, you know, to a large degree, were running the ball. Mm-hmm. He had a terrible interception in the fourth quarter. I'm not talking about the desperate one yeah. at the goal line. But, the first one, yeah. You know, he had a bad interception and and to me, at some point, if you're a great quarterback, I say this about quarterbacks all the time, and I, I don't necessarily think it's the only measure of being great, but like Patrick Mahomes had to win that game on Sunday in Foxborough. Absolutely had to. That was an, that was a must win. And, and everybody said, well, geez, they're still going to be in the division lead if they don't win it. No, they were two and four in their last six games. And they came out against a really good defense because Belichick's defense is really good. And they scored 27. Philadelphia needed to go to Seattle against a team playing for its lives uh, in, in, in this weekend. And he had to go out. Philadelphia had to go out and win. And they only put 17 points up. So at some point, and again, 
one of the reasons why I just don't want to kill Jalen Hurts is that I think he was probably sick as a dog. Yeah, that's fair. And and and, and so I I still think the guy is really really good. I think he's a top five quarterback. I said he was him, Burrow, and Mahomes at the start of this year. Uh, my ardor has slightly dimmed a little bit, but not a lot. Mm. I still think he's one of the best quarterbacks in football, and I'll take him any day. Seems like there's a pretty clear pecking order in the NFC, though, now. With the, with the Niners having yep. run roughshod over both the Cowboys and the Eagles, that they look like a, a bona fide killing machine since their bye week, and they got two MVP candidates. You know what? Is there a clear pecking order in the entire NFL? Like, are they, if, I, if I said 49ers are the field to win the, the whole shebang, I mean, would you be tempted to take that team? I'd be tempted to take the Niners, but the reason I wouldn't is because the Niners have shown, unless every one of their guys is in the lineup, that they're vulnerable. You know, when they were missing Trent Williams, the left tackle, and Debo Samuel, the incredible receiving weapon they have, um, they lost three in a row and scored 17 points a game. So I, I you have to tell, if you told me right now mm-hmm. that they were going to go into the postseason really healthy, <clears throat> and then let's also see one other thing. Let's see who they're going to play down the stretch of the season. Like last year, the Philadelphia Eagles, their playoff run to get through the NFC was by a very flawed New York Giants team and a San Francisco team that lost its quarterback, you know, eight minutes into the game. So... Uh, you know, and and Philadelphia, don't get me wrong, they were a deserving NFC champion last year, absolutely unequivocally. However, if you were to tell me right now that, uh, that uh, San Francisco was going to have to face, let's just say, uh, you know, Detroit and Philadelphia to get out of the NFC, I wouldn't be so, even at home, I wouldn't be so quick to say, yeah, I'll take San Francisco, you guys take the field. Let's see what their road is to the Super Bowl before we, we crown them. Yeah, just for the record, Peter, I told Ben that's what you were going to say when he asked me the exact same thing, and I had, like, a pretty similar answer. So just, like, let everyone else, let it be known that you and I, and I'm careful what you wish for in this regard, Peter, know the exact same about football, okay? So just, like, careful what you you wish for. Definitely mean that, and no kidding, uh, involved uh, by by side of things there. I got to ask you about what the games are going to have this weekend. Uh, We do it every week at this time of year. We did it last year, or last week, with the Bills and Cowboys game. Cowboys Dolphins. It feels like another game where I say, okay, somebody's going to show me something here. I don't know what it is. I don't even know what I expect to take away, but I feel like I'm going to have a big one one way or another uh, coming out of that game in Miami. Here's the way I look at this right now. You know, this is, this game's huge for a lot of different reasons. All right. And let's talk about Dallas for a second. So Dallas this year has had, uh, you know, when they have gone on the road, they have beaten. Uh, I'm sorry. They this year they have uh, beaten the Giants on the road, and then they've lost to Arizona, lost to San Francisco, lost to Philadelphia, lost to Buffalo, and in between they beat the Chargers and 
the Panthers on the road. Mm-hmm. Big deal. So if you look at what's happened to them on the road this year, right, every time they've played a good team on the road, they've lost. So if you're Mike McCarthy, if you're Dak Prescott, if you're Jerry Jones, if you're Micah Parsons, whoever, I don't care what you say publicly. Privately, you must be thinking this game this weekend is very big for standing reasons, but it's also big because at some point in the playoffs, it's obvious we're going to have to go on the road and win a big game. Mm -hmm. And we simply have not done it all season. And then you go back to last year, you know, with Dallas and, you know, their last game where they were awful offensively at San Francisco. And again, look, you got to consider the opponent too. I get it. But at some point, if you think you're the best team in football, and I assume that there are some people inside the Cowboys who think that you got to show it. They simply have not done it often enough this year. Yeah, it, it feels like the, the Buffalo Bills might be the best team in the AFC, but they got to get into the playoffs, right? And yeah. they'll be very much paying attention to, to that game uh, between the Dolphins and Cowboys as the Dolphins then have uh, the Ravens next week as well. The the path much easier as far as the, the schedule is concerned for the Bills leading into that Week 18 game against the Dolphins. They don't control any tiebreakers, though, Peter. Like, if you were wagering, would you would you say that you, you have the Bills getting into that AFC playoff field where they could be a berserker? I don't see how they won't make the playoffs, honestly, because if you look at it right now, and 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 look, I don't, I have not done the math. I don't know. There's, with three weeks left, too many weird things can happen. Kornacki has them less this, than fifty percent still. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't demean that at all because they got to play at Miami in Week 18. And that could end up being a game for either or both a playoff spot for Buffalo and or a division championship with the, you know, on the line in that game. So I, I don't, I don't think Steve Kornacki is wrong, but what I am saying is that if they do finish 10 and seven, uh, I, you know, you have to wonder right now, both Cincinnati and Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. To me, I I mean, look at Indianapolis. Yeah. Look at their road right now. <clears throat> at Atlanta, Vegas at home, Houston at home. I mean, how do you think that Indianapolis I mean, I think they got a heck of a shot to go three and oh. And do I think Indianapolis is better than Buffalo? Absolutely not. But you know, Buffalo dug itself a hole, and they have to get some help from a team or two down the stretch in order to win, in order to make make the playoffs. So we'll see what happens, but it certainly isn't a positive. Um, and, and, and look, I'll just say one other thing. If you look at the entirety of a season, the one thing, and I was talking about this the other day with a couple of Bengals people, you know, it, it, nobody thinks of this right now. But do you realize in consecutive weeks this season, the Cincinnati Bengals beat Seattle, San Francisco, and Buffalo? 
I mean, that those are, you know, okay, Seattle maybe not. But look, you face San Francisco and Buffalo both, and you beat them, San Francisco on the road, Buffalo at home. Now, granted, you know, that's Joe Burrow, but look at Jake Browning. Mm-hmm. Jake Browning has put up 34-34 and 27 so far. So the season is an absolute marathon, and everything counts. And the Bills are finding that out right now, where they're going to have to have help, most likely, mm-hmm. to get into the playoffs. Yeah, we should be taking a page out of the college uh, football playbook and just, you know, we should be voting on yeah, it just put at them the in. end of the season. You yeah. have this way, yeah, Peter. put them in. Yeah, of course. <laughs> hey, put them in. They might be like the second seed for crying out loud. <laughs> Honestly, uh, yeah. the way they're playing right now. Peter, uh, always a pleasure. Uh, Merry Christmas. Thanks for doing this. Thanks a lot, guys. See ya. See ya. There's Peter King. Football morning in America. Yeah. He didn't and, give it back to you. Merry Christmas. No, I was a little does, surprised. He doesn't want me to have one. I don't think so. Um, me either. I, I don't care whether you want me to or not. Okay. I will have one. Uh, I'm going to call you and ruin it. So the, the Bills got a <laughs> bunch of layups upcoming or two layups upcoming. What yeah. have they got? The Chargers coming up. Uh, who's the other team that they've got that uh, is just, also oh, a layup? Oh, uh, you, the worst team in the world, the right. New England Patriots. Yeah. Who they've already lost yeah. to this season. Yeah, they ain't going to do it twice. <laughs> Boy, and that's going to be the game if they, in fact, miss the playoffs. The that they look Ro- back oh, on. I thought you were going to say the Nathan Rourke game. Oh, on New well, Year's yeah, Eve. I mean that's also possible. But no, it's not the first game of the season against the Jets where you know they they lose Aaron Rodgers seconds Mm-mm. into the football game and you know uh, I miraculously come through with an overtime punt mm-hmm. return touchdown to win the football. Like that happens, right? And then after that, they look like the best team in the NFL for the next three weeks, including that beatdown of the Miami Dolphins. It's it's the first loss to what is going to be the second worst team mm-hmm. in the NFL at the end of the season, the the Patriots. So you win those two games, which I I, I feel like this is not a jinx to say that the Bills are going to be ten and six going into Week 18. All the Dolphins have to do, yeah, is lose on Sunday to the Cowboys, or right lose the week after to. Uh, who do they have? I'm pulling it up right here. Oh, God, I just looked at it, and I just... The Ravens first. They got the Ravens. They got the... So the best team in the AFC. Yeah. And they got a team that, you know, it wasn't that long ago we were talking about being right there with uh, the Eagles and the Niners atop the NFC. All you have to do is lose one of those games, and it makes Week 18 for all the marbles as far as the AFC East. Yeah, the Bills are getting in. Yeah, it's it's almost like the NFL scripted it, isn't it, Ben? Like, joke kind of writes itself, honestly. Like, it really does feel like if you had scripted an end-of-the-season run for Buffalo, it would look exactly like this. And I know we kind of briefly touched on it earlier, but, God, what a game we're getting on Christmas Day. Ravens and Niners. I'm not calling it, but that would be, again, talk about a script there, the idea of the Ravens, all of us going, yeah, they're good, but yeah, we know how this is going to turn out. Just poo-pooing their season that again they're 11 and 3 exact same record as the Niners stranger things have happened than them finding a way against that team Uh, what I'd kill for that just from a narrative shifting perspective it feels like Lamar Jackson's not getting enough MVP no he's not conversation surrounding him because you mentioned they have the same record as the the 49ers (laughs) and yeah like the the passing statistics aren't there with Brock Purdy but obviously Lamar Jackson does 
things with his legs. Yeah, did you see that play from the weekend where he like <laughs> juked out a defensive end two different times and then celebrated in front of him? It was incredible what he's able to do. Yeah, does the fact that they've had limited postseason success, by which I mean he has won one postseason game, yeah. and the fact that he's also won an MVP before, like impact the discussion here that like we'd be le- leaning more towards Brock Birdie because it's like, yeah, the, there, there should be more of a, for a, sure. a a gaining traction for Lamar Jackson, the top seed in the AFC, for winning the MVP award. Not that he's not a top five candidate, yeah. but it's it's like Brock Purdy, Christian McCaffrey, Brock Purdy, Christian McCaffrey, and then like yeah, yeah. also Lamar Jackson. What about Lamar? Justice for Lamar. Mm. We'll revisit after that Christmas Day game. Yeah, we'll see. All right, we'll be uh, back tomorrow with another edition of the Fan Morning Show. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sports Five Nine Fan. Good morning. Good morning. morning.